Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it is broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival. The 8th annual New York City premiere will be October 2023, along with the 5th annual New York Cat Film Festival before traveling the country, supporting local animal welfare groups. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at TracyHotchnerPets.com. I would not be able to bring you this show without the generous support of Dr. Elsie's the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their kitties. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. This show would not be possible without the longtime support from Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food. Other pet food companies may have copied them over time, but Waruva remains privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards, not investors who focus on profits. A book came across my desk, as many, many books do. You guys know how many authors I have on the show. There's a lot of authors I don't have on the show, and you would never know that. So a book came across my desk called Positive Training for Aggressive and Reactive Dogs. The subtitles, Proven Techniques to Help Your Dog Overcome Fear and Anxiety, which are not necessarily the same thing as an aggressive or reactive dog. But I thought, as you know, I did a show a number of weeks ago with a trainer who happened to have two a client's two dogs that went after each other very viciously. And I had her on the show to talk about it just because this could happen to anybody. So then this book came along, written by Annie Phoenix, and I thought, well, maybe this is a topic that's out in the in the ether or something, and we all should be thinking about aggressive and reactive dogs. But then I thought, but wait, I don't really want people to buy a book to fix the problem. You must have a professional trainer to help you. So I thought, well, we got to get Annie on the show. She, I read the rest of the book. It's not just about that. It's about so many things about dogs and our relationship with them. And I thought, this is a really cool woman and a really cool dog trainer, and she turns to many other experts in the field in this book to get their opinions about things, not aggressive and reactive dogs only, about many things. So Annie, I think that the title does you a disservice because you have a wonderful book here and you've gathered the thoughts and ideas and practical wisdom of many of your colleagues around the world, not just around the United States. So I'm sorry that they gave you that title. And I think we have to <laughs> say that out loud because I would like people to embrace this as a really interesting book about 
dogs and training them and many perspectives on how wrong we get it. That's all I can say. And also there's a picture of a very friendly German shepherd on the on the cover. He looks very friendly and not aggressive or reactive. He's like, hello, what can I do for you, as German shepherds often feel? So I know there's also a snarling German shepherd, but I don't look at him. So <laughs> it, was this frustrating for you, years of work as a writer? And then I'm guessing it's your publisher said, oh, I have a great idea for a title. <laughs> I have mixed feelings about the title. I don't think it is going to stick in anybody's mind. Um, and I think you're right that it doesn't encapsulate everything that's in this book. It's really all behavior problems yes. or what owners say is a behavior problem. From my perspective and trainer's perspective, I, we're like the dog is being a dog. <laughs> and right. we need to help the dog have a, a healthy outlet for things that we don't like. You know, we, we can't grow and bite people, obviously, but <laughs> like dig, digging, chasing cars. I mean, those are... Those are dog things. <laughs> right. Um, and, and change our expectations. But I will say, um, I didn't choose the title. and But I am thrilled with the publisher because of the, I think the book is beautiful. It, it is. so many photos. Yes. And they did, they did write by the, the copy. Like they did not, they let me be the expert, which I appreciate. Um, and they didn't change anything that I um, wow. care deeply about. And they kept those interviews intact. I did interview 17 experts from around the world. And I said, like, if it's too big, I wrote too much. Right. <laughs> they left me alone for too long. And it was really too big of a book <laughs> um, for what they anticipated. And I said, you can cut my words, but don't cut please, oh, that's sweet. the experts. Yeah. Well, you know, that, that, it, that's what, it is a great but, looking book. And it's expensive to have a lot of color photos in a book. And they definitely stepped up and did that. And it's what makes the book, in in my view, so appealing is that it's many different topics with wonderful photos that give you a good sense of it. For example, there's a whole prenatal and neonatal care for a pregnant bitch and pictures mm -hmm. of, you know, a, a most strange looking pregnant dog. I, I, <laughs> I, I didn't mean to you know, like pick a page randomly, but I could flip this book open anywhere and be very interested. What is that dog? Some kind of a mastiff? I don't know. I think that's a I think that's a stock photo because I did not submit that one. Oh, my goodness. A lot of these are, are anyway, my photos. Anyway, there's cool not. photos. I mean, it's full <laughs> of really cool photos. But I, one of the the um, big experts, I guess, on aggressive slash reactive dogs, dogs who don't do well with other dogs and maybe even with other people, was a woman who, according to your interview with her, was inspired to do her work because two of her own dogs went after each other. So I thought, well, that's not a coincidence that I had someone on the show to talk about this event with a client's dogs. And now it's something that inspired a very famous, in the dog world, very famous trainer. Do you think this is not a not uncommon occurrence that people with multiple dogs are dealing with dog fights? Uh, I, I asked every expert, um, are you seeing... What are you seeing in dogs? Because so, they almost all work in behavior, right? And I said, are you are you seeing you know weird things off one off? Are you seeing the, uh, what's the thing you see the most? And it's always and same with studies of dog owners. It's reactivity is reactivity followed by separation anxiety or noise phobia are the ones reported the most, and reactivity is what my colleagues say that they are the busiest with, meaning a dog overreacts to something and it's, we say overreacts. Right. That's what they, all, actually that's old school to me to say the dog overreacts. That's putting it all on the dog as opposed to what my book and what the experts in the book are saying, the dog is having a bad problem, is having a bad time. He's not yes. being a bad dog. He's 
he's scared, he's nervous, he thinks he might die for all we know, particularly if he's been in a fight. So what I came away with was I think, and the, I think a lot of my colleagues think that dogs are way more troubled in more serious ways than they ever have been. And part of, and a, and a lot of that is our fault. It's human beings' fault for our breeding programs that I think are horrendous. That you know, most most dogs are bred for money as opposed to temperament and health. There are good breeders, and I interview a great breeder from the UK in here. There's certainly some wonderful breeders, but big scale kennels, puppy mills. Um, and then even spay and neuter, which can get very controversial. I'm from, I'm from Texas originally, and, they had, and I came out of rescue. And there were just way and still are way too many dogs. So I understand why we spayed and neutered everything. But we've taken away a dog's right to even breed and choose who to breed. And most dogs don't live with people around the world. They live near people. Right. Um, like 80% of the dogs don't live in our homes. And right. those dogs don't have... Yes, they have diseases and they get hit by cars and all sorts of terrible things can happen to them, but they have control of their lives, mostly, where they sleep, who they hang out with, who they mate with. And something like aggression or reactivity is very expensive um, body-wise and health-wise. And so you just, the aggression just doesn't keep being bred, you know, because an yes. aggressive dog is, is too expensive. But we keep breeding for beauty or whatever, or, or titles. And we're not thinking about, it's not a priority in the breeding world that I have seen. And that's because we're the end result of that. When dog owners with troubled dogs contact us because of inner house fighting uh, or because of that lunging and barking and screaming at the end of the leash and mauling. Oh my God, the, the dog dogs are mauling people and uh, dog bites are through the roof as well. And COVID didn't help anything. Um, and we see now a lot of dogs that are, have separation anxiety because their owners had to go back to work. And, and they they're got used the to them being around all the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, to go back to the, the issue of free-roaming dogs, which a lot of the ethologists who study from, from a, a view on high as opposed to the view on low, one-on-one -on -one yeah. with people <laughs> and their dogs, the idea that dogs all live with people and are and only cats are feral and only cats are community animals – and even those are a controversial idea, but the dogs are under our control and on our leashes is completely specious that most of the dogs, as you said, in the world, the vast majority are free roaming and free living with whatever is entailed in that, um, including diseases that are dangerous to the dogs and to people, rabies being number one. But I'm wondering if this issue of dogs behaving badly in human terms doesn't have to do with our leashes. I mean, those dogs living freely can come and go in a space of a foot or a yard or a hundred yards as they wish. They're not forced to be in confined quarters on sidewalks or even in fenced dog parks that they don't want to be in. Is that not part of it? And is that not one of the things that you talk about in, in, in the positive training for aggressive and reactive dogs that we're forcing dogs to be in places in ways that make them feel trapped and scared and anxious and yeah. forcing them to walk on hot cement sidewalks with tons of people's legs and other dogs on leashes for some dogs is horrible. I mean, I no longer want to walk in cities on crowded sidewalks, and I'm not scared of people. I'm just done with them. But, you know, that's something that people don't think about with dogs. You think you're taking your dog for a walk. You may be t 
giving your dog a torturous experience. Isn't that one of the things you talk about in the book? Yes, I think you're exactly right. And we don't even and, and trainers, I think, bear some responsibility, the training community, because we would beg years past, walk your dog, walk your dog, walk yes, your dog. Yes, yes. And, and owners did. And now we're, we've gone so far to say, please don't walk your dog because it, it's triggering to so many dogs. And we don't let them sniff. And that's, to me, what I see the only purpose of a walk is to let a dog sniff. Yes. Or we're just, you know, not for us to get our exercise. You can do that separate if you want or compromise. Let the dog sniff and then you jog together or whatever you need to do. But, yes, that idea that they are trapped to us by a leash, and we have to for safety, for everybody, but that that takes away one of their fight, flight, or um, or fawn. You know, they the fleeing. Right. They cannot flee if they are scared. And so, what do they do? They try to get bigger and bark and let. You know, yes. a really confident dog isn't going to scream and bark at the end of the leash. It's going to give you a stare. And I've had yes. dogs do that to me. Yeah. That says, don't even try it. And yeah. same with a person. You can tell a person, you know, your intuition and the hair on the back of your ne- neck that something is not right about this person. And um, a strong dog or competent dog is not going to go through what we can label it as hyster- hysterical behavior, over-the-top behavior. And so to me, when a dog is doing that, that should be a wake-up call for the owner to either get professional help. And one reason I wrote this book is I wrote it for owners so that they can begin. Um, trying to help their own dogs in a way without force or fear or intimidation or harm and keep that bond sacred. I think we've, the dogs are so troubled now that we have forgotten that we got them in our lives or they adopted us and we adopted them 30, 40,000 years ago because there was a bond there. And now scientists, we had to prove that there's the love hormone. We know that. And those of us who love dogs, we love them. But there's so much frustration between the species that, we forgot the joy. We yes. forgot the bond. Yes. It's and you know, there's trouble, some, trouble, trouble. There's something you bring up in the book. The interviews are really interesting. Some of these trainers are famous and I've heard of them or they're, they're very well trained themselves and I haven't heard of them, but the things they have to say and the way you interviewed them brings lots of different perspectives. And that's, that makes your book quite different because usually a trainer with opinions and attitudes and experience wants to write the book with their words and their ideas, which are culled from many other people's ideas and words eventually, all thoughts are. But you were very egoless. You even said to your publisher, it's okay, leave me out of it. These people will speak wisely to the issues. But I think what's really unique in this book is your suggestion, which, I mean, I thought it would have like neon lights and, and be jumping off the page. Don't take your dog outside. You get a new dog, keep the dog inside. I was like, wow, that is a to- that puts the whole idea of get out and about on its right. ear. And and you do know that that's something quite unique, isn't it? Yes, and that was really important to me and I when I wrote the uh chapter outline for the book, I did not have interviews in there. Um it just kind of came across as I what what happened is I left the industry for 5 years because I had burnout because yep. we have a very high rate of burnout. And I thought it was done. I wrote a book called The Midnight Dog Walkers years ago, for dog owners. I'm like, that's my contribution. And it was mostly focused on reactivity. The publisher contacted me in 2021 and asked me, it was supposed to be a second edition, which it's not. It's a brand new book. Um, and I halfway through, I stopped 
writing because I, what, what I had done is I'm a journalist. I grew up in journalism family. So I asked what journalists ask, who, what, where, when, right. and why. Mm-hmm. And who, who's doing what and why and what's different since I wrote the other book in 2016. And I was blown away. And that's why I started interviewing people because I wasn't familiar with their programs because I had taken myself out of the industry. And I was so happy to not talk about counter conditioning and desensitizing, which can work. And we leaned on that science forever, for far too long. Um, And these people are doing things that seem very innovative and new, but they're also very old, like Sarah Fisher in the UK, who's doing body work. And she has a hands-off program where you observe the dog. And I think observing canine language and understanding what the dog's saying in a very subtle, when they can be very subtle in their communication until they start growling and barking and biting. Right. Um, very subtle. I'm, this makes me nervous. The situation, I'm apprehensive, licking their lips, a whale eye, lifting a paw. I think most owners just don't see it. And that builds frustration. It's like the, the dog is trying to say, this is concerning to me. That little baby crawling on the floor is weird. I don't understand it. Or the thunderstorm last night really, bo- or the, you know, yep. so much in their environment can bother them. But they are also stoic and they don't want to, and pain. We also know that pain is an underlying issue in a, a ton of reactivity, reactivity class cases, pain and noise. You know, like I almost start there. Like if you have right. a dog that's really reactive, I may, I, you have to go see a veterinarian. Well, first and a veterinarian and then get them, get them earplugs, right? I mean, I'm only kidding, but I mean, the realization <laughs> that you have a dog who's, who's sound sensitive, I think you've, you've got a number of trainers who've also worked with horses and you, they make good comparisons between the two species. And many of us had horses when we were competing in horse shows and we would stuff their ears with cotton. The horses that were more reactive to sound, we were conscious of that. We didn't want them to be spooked or, you know, by the overhead, you know, announcement system, whatever the noises may have been. I'm sure you've seen that yourself. Mm-hmm. And it, it didn't occur to me until reading your book, Positive Training for Aggressive and Reactive Dogs, that sound is a trigger for some dogs, not all dogs, but they're individuals. And if we're sensitive to that, then we're not going to play loud music or take them to places where there's loud sound. Annie, we've run out of time. This book is such a, a cornucopia of ideas and <laughs> and uh, new ways of looking at things, as well as looking at the previous ways of looking at things and doing a shop and compare. I think it's a, a wonderful contribution to the literature and to people that want to understand their dog better if they're feeling frustrated and thinking, what went wrong here? I think that Positive Training for Aggressive and Reactive Dogs by Annie Phoenix will help you understand. Annie, thanks for writing the book and for coming back into the field, and I look forward to talking to you more in the future. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. This show is supported by Wonderside, a company founded and run by a woman entrepreneur who wanted to find an effective natural way to keep fleas, ticks, and other pests away from her pets and home instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. Wonderside makes plant-powered products to keep parasites at bay without dousing your pets and property with ingredients that are harmful to them and the planet. 
The show is also underwritten by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human edible, ethically sourced ingredients and gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They've founded and run their own company and have been doing that for 14 years and answer only to their own high standards without interference from venture capital investors. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal, also privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative Dog Chew No Hide and the hybrid dog food Wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky blue Weimarano Maisie will eat. <laughs> 